You're listening to a breakout session, recorded live at Davis Tent UK 2019. In this episode, we'll be hearing from Jeremy and Katie Riddle, who together are the worship, prayer and creativity pastors of Vineyard Anaheim. Thanks, guys. Super kind, super kind. Um, it's an honor to be here. This is our one of our favorite events, if not the favorite event that we get to attend, um, just because the spirit that's in the air. Like, uh, it, we, we don't need to lead. We feel zero need to be on that stage or do any of this stuff, honestly. We're here to drink just as much as anybody else. Um, and this is special. I hope we're all aware of that. Like, what's happening here is significant. It's much more significant than, um, than maybe we're, we're aware of. No one ever really knows that they're in the good old days until, until they start talking about the good old days of, of previous. I, I believe we're right in the middle of not just the good old days, the good, very present days of God moving and doing something so remarkable in, in, in your nation. And um, I feel, honestly, one of my, one of my great hopes and prayers uh, for the worship movement lies in the prayer movement because I, I feel like um, there's how many know that the enemy hates pure worship <laughs> like hates pure praise hates anything that's pure and wholly devoted to Jesus like he can't stand it. it it annihilates his kingdom of darkness so he is constantly trying to redirect the attention he's constantly trying to redirect the focus um, and, and his favorite way of doing that is to make worship, the very thing meant to glorify Jesus, the focus. His very thing is like to take a worship leader and make him or her the object of someone's attention or affection. He loves to redirect people's attention and focus away from Jesus. And um, it's, it's just one of his favorite tactics. He's been, he's been doing it for a long time. Um, and um, what I love about this event is it has nothing to do with that. It is a group of people who have come hungry to see Jesus get the glory that Jesus deserves and Jesus alone. And um, it's just really, really precious what's happening here. So, all right. Um, we were given probably such a massive topic uh, to cover, like the heart of worship, you know, as if we're somehow the experts uh, on that. Um, I'm going to share a few things. My wife's going to share a few things. Um, but before we get there, why don't we just, we'll just tell, us, uh, tell you guys a little bit about us and about our journey. Um, I, uh, my name's Jeremy. Gosh. And uh, <laughs> so I was born. And uh, We're going to go way back. <laughs> uh, I was born in New Jersey. It's on the eastern side of the United States. Um, born into a Christian family. Uh, one of seven kids. Anyone here from seven? Family of seven? Okay, okay, okay. Anybody else? No one else crazy like my parents? Look at you guys. Look at how many of there are. That's amazing. Um, I was the second born, and uh, my parents were um, total Jesus people. They uh, were saved in the Jesus movement. Did you guys ever hear about the Jesus movement? Yeah. Uh, and uh, they were hippies. You guys know what hippies are? Uh, <laughs> They're uh, very flowery. They were really flowy things, and um, it's all about peace and love. And they um, they drove a VW bus. Uh, not the cool. No, no. They, they now they're cool. But guys, when I was growing up, they were not cool. They were not the cool car. Uh, I was the kid that wanted to be dropped off a block away from his school, you know, so... Um, except you were homeschooled, so that's that adds right. another level of coolness. Except for four years of my life, 
I was a homeschooled boy. And, uh, <laughs> and it's all, all, all clues to the puzzle here. Uh, so um, I gave my life to the Lord when I was eight years old. I watched one of those end times films. Have you guys ever seen those things in the 80s? They're meant to terrify you. And uh, it worked. It was so effective. And uh, I ran home, jumped in my parents' bed, and was like, what must I do to be saved? And, um, and they proceeded to, uh, to, to tell me, oh, hey, we're back. We're, I'm going to hold this just a little bit farther down. All right, here, here we go. You good? It's fantastic. Um, so um, I began to discover worship probably first and foremost through my dad um, and my mom. They were both, they were worshipers. And I'm so grateful for who they are. My dad, um, man, he was just uh, a, a man like David, honestly. He... Um, John Wimber used to say that more is caught than taught. And um, as a kid, you realize it's really, really true. I don't know how many guys um, became a worshiper because someone gave you a brilliant teachings on the ABCs of worship or just because you, you came into an environment of worship and something caught in your heart, like you just got it and you began to give yourself to the Lord. And that began to happen to me when I was about 12 years old. And um, I just began to give myself and worship, not even fully understanding what I was doing. But, um, and gosh, the journey has gone so many different places in so many different ways. My wife and I, we met when uh, she was 14. I was 16 years old in that homeschool program. So, uh, where's all my homeschoolers? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, you guys are homeschooling? You guys were loud and proud right there. Absolutely. Yeah. No shame whatsoever. yeah, we did. We, we met. We didn't like each other at all. Um, no, it wasn't until... Anyway, we won't go into our whole love story. It's, it's way too long. We're getting so deep, too deep. Anyway, we, we met, fell in love probably a couple years later. Um, did not, in no way did we ever... I think it was almost like the Lord just it, it, it snuck a fast one. It was the Jehovah sneaky kind of a thing because we were not looking to fall in love with each other, had no... Um, and, but it, but just the lack of pressure, cause that we were like, there's no way you're the one for me kind of a thing. And both of us kind of knew that. And so, and then all of a sudden we began to fall in love with each other. We're like, wait, that's not the plan. And, uh, <laughs> but lo and behold, it was the plan and, um, got married when we were super young, 19, 21, I was 21. She was 19. Um, had our first baby who is now almost 18 years old. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary. Yeah, Feels just celebrated so 20 years. old now. <laughs> uh, and we have five of those lovely babies. Um, and uh, the, the oldest is 17, the youngest is seven. And um, we've been doing this for a while. We've been part of church our whole entire lives. Uh, both of us carry a really, really uh, strong heart for worship. Um, gone through all the journeys, raising a family, doing ministry, all that stuff. It's intense. It's not necessarily easy. Um, we've gone through so many different seasons. We started in the Vineyard Church. How many of you guys know what the Vineyard Church is? Come on, Jesus. Um, so uh, started in the Vineyard Church, um, met and married in the Vineyard Church, raised our family in the Vineyard Church, and then uh, went on this wild ride trying to follow the Lord that led us to Northern California. And initially it wasn't Bethel. It was um, a town out in the middle of nowhere and um, went through a wild, wild kind of desert season where the Lord um, 
you have such an intense time. How many of you guys know sometimes um, God's path to perfect you and lead you where he wants you to go is, is not always an easy one. Like, it has some really, really intense seasons. But in it all, if you continue to surrender and give yourself to the Lord and never give up and never reject the Lord or, or, or check out of the process, he does amazing, beautiful things with your life. You know, so if you're in the middle of that valley, just know that, that there's you're, you're going to you're going to reach a place and, and things are going to open up and it's going to be a really wide, expansive place that the Lord is bringing you to. Um, sometimes the, the path to the palace is through a prison and um, you just never know what the Lord's Lord's going to do. So we went through that season, that two year season, um, miserable season for me, particularly um, at that at that time. I, I just was a local church worship leader, youth pastor. We had a song, a song of mine, take off on Christian radio. It thrust me into this very, very weird world of the Christian music scene, the industry, the festivals. They're not like David's Tent festivals, uh, not at all like that. Very different, um, more performance-driven kind of bands and that kind of act. And um, I had no idea how to lead worship in that in that space, or you know. Um, and so it was just miserable. I felt like I was failing for two years. And, um, but coming out of that season, I was like, I don't know up from down. I don't know what on earth I'm supposed to be doing with my life. It's clearly not to be a Christian music artist because, uh, not only do I hate it, I'm terrible at it. So it just works out, you know, uh, this is not the call on my life. And, um, and, um, and so we just like, we're the worshiping people. Like we, that's, I, I just, I got to find the people who are just given over, you know, to, to worship. And, you know, at the time, um, my wife was listening to Bethel podcast. I think you were the one that actually um, kind of led us in that direction. And um, so we said, hey, let's go up. Let's visit Bethel. We're only a couple hours away. Um, let's check it out. We may love it. We may hate it. We have no idea, uh, yeah, what we're going to experience. So we decided to go up for a weekend. First service we were there, it wasn't a great service. <laughs> it was like, okay. Um, I, uh, I, my heart wasn't deeply moved or anything like that. There was no um, writing on the wall or anything. And so we're like, okay. But then the Lord, over the course of that weekend, just changed our life. And we knew without, uh, without um, you say something. Yeah, I would just add to, like, wherever you are in your journey, we're talking about cultivating a heart of worship. And that's just a big yes all the time to the Lord. And before we even left Southern California to go to Northern California, I had this vision that we were going to go and I saw us getting swallowed by a dragon and then we slit its throat open and we came out victorious and I'm like yeah let's go let's let the dragon throw you know um but I forgot to think about what it would be like to be inside that dragon and that was a good two-year process and when you're in that space when you've given your yes when you've gone after it you know in faith all of that you have to hold true to that hope and that faith that he is with you and he is good. Even when things don't make sense, even when people are telling you that you made a mistake, like you just continue to press into your relationship with him, read his word, like pray, listen to his voice. Like it, it's very humbling already. So humbling yourself when you're inside the dragon's really easy. <laughs> you're just like slobber. And, um, and so it's like when you get out of that, um, that phase, it, it's, it's, 
I just want to speak. Yeah, if you guys are in that space, you've already given a yes. Like, it's a continual lifestyle of yes. That heart of worship is a continual lifestyle of, of, of being swallowed and slitting throats and not so violent. But yeah. you know what I mean? There's, there is That's victory a and there is, there is that, that time when you just feel hidden and, like, you could be getting eaten alive. But, but just remember and like hold on, like don't lose hope, like stay grounded, stay in the Lord, stay in the Lord. And, and, um, and yeah, so we, we were hungry uh, after that season. And when we found Bethel, it just felt like, oh, we found people who are hungry too. And these people are coming from all over and we just want to worship with them yeah. and see what the Lord does. And yeah. so, yeah, go ahead, Bethel journey. No, oh, it's so good. Um, Um, yeah, I'll finish this and then we'll just, we'll dive right in. Um, because that, that is a life of worship is just a life of yes to the Lord. Like it's, 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 it's everything. We don't really have the option to follow Jesus and, and retain anything that we own or, or, or that we have. Like when he says, come, take up your cross, follow me, it will cost you everything. And, um, and you know, once you're on the other side of that and you realize that, that was nothing anyway, and you just inherited everything. It's like there was, it's it's almost like was that costly? I, I don't even know. But in the in the moment of surrender, it is costly. But um, and I I'll, I'll, I'll revisit parts of this journey. But anyway, this is just a little bit of our history. Um, and we went to Bethel as a part of Bethel almost ten years. Uh, massive, most life changing thing. I could talk for hours on the lessons that I learned as a worship leader. You know, um, I don't know how many worship leaders do we have here. So many of you, it's so good. Um, I, you, you know those like those seasons where your growth—it's like you go through a growth spurt, and you just learn so much. You're 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 just expanding. You're shooting up, at, you know, spiritually. Bethel was one of those seasons. You know, um, the first two years, I learned more about following the Holy Spirit than it changed my entire my my entire way of leading. There was like the before and after. I think of my ministry one before I was really intentionally learning how to follow the Holy Spirit and after where I was like I had no other assignment but to follow the Holy Spirit. And those are two very different worship leaders and um, two very different sides and counters and sets and everything. Everything changes with a group of people who are given over to following the Holy Spirit. But we'll get more into that. And Bethel is just another yes. It was like we got out of a season. We pulled ourselves together. Um, Jeremy was still traveling. Um, we didn't move to Bethel because there was work there. We moved because we loved it. And um, so money was starting to dry up. But we felt like we were supposed to be here. So our next yes was like <laughs> we owned a fifth wheel, which is like a little camper. We had four kids at the time, and um, we just knew that if we were going to stay for another year, we'd need to downsize. And so we had friends that owned land, and they let us park our trailer there. And we lived there, homeschooled four kids in there for a year. And it, there was so much grace. Like, it was, my kids loved it. Like, we were camping for a year. It was an adventure. We were close. We were David's like, tent for a whole year, you know? It's wonderful. Exactly. No, it was so beautiful what God did in that. Like, completely surrendered. Did not know what was going to happen next. Um, it was in that space where um, Jeremy started to connect uh, with the Bethel family and um, started to, got a job there, um, wrote a lot of songs with a lot of friends, and God just started providing from there. And so it's like, yeah, just the continual yeah. journey of not knowing, but just the faithfulness of God. Yeah. It was so beautiful. It's crazy. And to watch what God did in that house, things that we saw, um, particularly in those first two to three years, were just 
forever shaped and changed who we are, you know, um, and honestly prepared us to be launched. We, we, we were thinking that we were going to be in Reading for forever and ever, that we were going to be a part of Bethel forever and ever. Um, we were dead set. I told Bill Johnson, I'm like, I'm going to die in Reading. I'm not leaving Reading. And uh, so, so sad. And then I had to write Bill. I'm like, Bill, you remember that thing where I said I was going to die in Reading? Well, turns out I am actually having to leave. And uh, it, was the, it was such a sheepish letter. Um, but he was so gracious and so kind. Um, and I just, um, but it was that 10 year season where we were rebuilt, we were put back together. We were um, given, in, in a way, apostolic DNA. And Misty Edwards is playing, know, You Won't I'm Relent, so and We Should All Just Grab an Encounter in the other tent. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> um, wow, okay, train of thought. Here we go. So, um, 2013, we began to get words about moving back down to Southern California, and um, which we immediately rejected and uh, tried to find a way to. No, we didn't. When, you know, one of those words where you're just like, we were never going back to Southern California. You have, you have those places, guys, where you've said, I'll never go back there. Don't say that to the Lord. Um, <laughs> so we started getting words, uh, prophetic words about it, and we're like, oh, that's for our kids. That's not for us. We're going to be doing a lot of commuting. We should probably, uh, you know, it was just, we, we found every way to rationalize how we were not going to move back down to Southern California, but we were just going to commute, you know. Because Southern California, like, I was born and raised there, and, um, like, all my deepest woundings were in the church there. And so I was happy to leave and happy to never return. And so when we received those words, I was like, ooh, I don't know about that. We'll hold on to it, but we'll see. And, <laughs> And yeah, there's just, there's long story short, literally five years of praying and more words and, and a heart change, sometimes instantaneously, sometimes over a development of years yeah. and forgiveness and just feeling the power of forgiveness and redemption that happens um, changed me and humbled me. Yeah. And um, so stepping, we ended up moving back to Anaheim Vineyard where we came from, born, like raised and all of that. Joined our friends, Alan and Catherine Scott, who now are senior pastors there. Love them dearly, like world-class leaders. And we're just watching the story of redemption kind of develop um, this year. It's been really powerful. It's been crazy. Yeah, we never thought we would be back in the movement that birthed us. Um, and um, so leaving Bethel, leaving Reading, it was like, why would you do that? You know, you're leaving the, the epicenter of something that God is doing in such a powerful way to go back to something that's broken and fallen down. At that time, the Anaheim Vineyard Church was down to about three, 400 people. So not the mega church it used to be. Those people are meeting in a 3,300 seat sanctuary. So it kind of felt like the party that no one showed up to, you know, every Sunday morning and, you know, being brought back to that. Um, and then at first we're like, no, we're just coming down for the region. God's doing something amazing in Southern California. We feel like his river is running through that region right now. And, but um, we weren't necessarily interested in joining a, a broken down kind of church. <laughs> that was not on the agenda. And, um, and gosh, it's crazy how God works. He'll plant a seed and he'll just let it sit there. And you have no idea how powerful that seed is until it begins to sprout in your heart. And you're like, what's happening to my heart? And all of a sudden, like, you know, Catherine, four or five months into it, just like, hey, we just want you guys to take over worship, prayer, and creativity. And we had, we had had a prepared answer for the church job ask. You know what I'm saying? Like, we had rehearsed it with each other. Like, it was a no. Like, we are not doing that. 
And as she's talking to me, I'm like, huh. It's not no. <laughs> That's not what's coming out of my mouth. I don't know if it's because she's Irish and she's just I so don't charming. Know. And she oh, just... man. <laughs> no, it that was That accent is everything. It it's so powerful. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, and her sweet Irish charm, she just asked. But it was the Holy Spirit, honestly. And we're like, yes. How strange that it's yes. We're, we're doing this. And we took it on, and it's been an absolutely wild ride of returning and doing things that we thought we'd, we were never going to go back to doing. Things like running Planning Center. I thought I was so done with that forever and ever and ever. And, um, and uh, nope, nope, we're back. So, um, but um, it's, it's honestly amazing to be a part. God loves to restore things. God is never gives up. He, like, it's not just a little rowdy rah-rah song we sing. He literally does not give up. Like, and he has his plans and his purposes. Like, he'll let them come to, like, it's, he's not afraid of the journey. He's not afraid to, lead the, to, to weed out the army. He's like, 10,000, too many. 3,000, too many. 300, just about right. Let's take on an army of millions. Like, God does not, the odds are never stacked against God. But sometimes he needs to teach his people that, you know, because we're still looking, you know, for a whole bunch of human factors to bolster our confidence. And um, the Lord has not given up on that church. He's not done with it. His plans and his purposes stand fast for it. And he, and he brought us back and, um, to it. And wow, anyway, it's crazy. And I'll be real with you. Like, saying yes costs. It's costly. Um, when we first moved, we were very inspired. We felt the Lord. Bethel sent us out, blessed us. We just sobbed. We had to go through four services of being sent out. And every single one, we're like, I'm not going to cry, I'm not going to cry. And then they start praying, and we're like, oh, you know, are we really supposed to be leaving? But we were filled with so much faith um, that God had something for us. We didn't know what it was yet. And and we had three teenagers at the time, and they're very all they knew was Reading. Their friends were there. Um, their lives were there. Um, I grew up in Orange County, but they didn't. My oldest was five when we moved. So um, it was hard on them. And as you know, any of you moms out there and dads out there, you know, like when your kids are struggling, it kills. It's so hard. And um, and I, it was hard on me. Like I I like disconnected from myself uh, because things felt so intense to the point to where I ended up. I thought I was having a heart attack. It ended up being an anxiety attack, and um, just. Yeah, it was a it was a crazy turning point for me as well. But like feeling the faithfulness of God, feeling Him so near during that time, and and really understanding like my um, surrender was even more like I had to be real with what was going on, and I had to not like try and stifle any of the pain or like the process, and recognize what was happening and surrender it to the Lord again. And it's so powerful. Actually, uh, we just started up our midweek prayers. Um, at Vineyard, which has been absolutely stunning. Um, and Jeremy texted me the other day with a, he took a picture of when I had the anxiety attack. And it was actually a year to the day of when we started our very first prayer meeting. And it was such a powerful moment. And so it's like, God is so good. He's so faithful. Yeah. He is. He's crazy, crazy good. Um, what time do we got? Uh, we're, we're getting close. I, I think there's just a couple things, guys, um, when it comes to, to the heart of worship. I think most of you guys have some kind of understanding of what the heart of worship is. Um, the heart of worship in its very, very essence is just a heart of love for the Lord. And it's crazy how many things become the agenda, become the most talked about thing when, when 
a life of worship is a life of love. That's, that's, that's what it is. And, and everything that we get up to do, we're just loving on the Lord. We're wanting to minister to his heart. We're wanting to, 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 to just love him. Um, and yes, he's worthy. But I, I, and, and that is the ultimate foundational reason, you know, why we worship. But you know that God is not looking for a bunch of robots who are just like, you're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy. He's looking for a bride. Like, he's, he's out for a bride. He's looking for people whose hearts burn with love. How, how could the God who is love not desire the very thing that he is? Like, like in, in return. It, it is the foundation of how God works, and it's the thing that he wants. It's, it's the reason why he gave free will, because, uh, like, love is a choice. Love is, love is a free will offering. It is a, it is a place of surrender. We, we, it is the first number one commandment. <laughs> above anything else is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There is nothing, there is no song of worship that, that is beautiful to the Lord that, is, that is, comes from anything apart from love. Like, it is love. And um, if you don't want to be a noise in his ear, if you don't want to be a clashing cymbal or, or, or a gong, um, move from love, live from love. But here's the thing about love is love looks like something. Love is not just an emotion. We, we know that. But um, uh, for me, I first began to discover love by, through surrender. And how many guys have dreams and passions? Me too. They're the biggest things. You know, the hardest things for me to surrender in my entire life were dreams and passions. And, um, you know, here's the deal. The Lord... It is his love that invites us to surrender. It is his love that invites us to take up a cross and to follow him. It is love. Because anything but Jesus that lives on the throne of your heart um, is going to lead you towards brokenness and pain and frustration and disappointment and bitterness and all those kinds of things, unless Jesus is fully enthroned. And the thing that's so tricky, you know, uh, you know, it's been a tricky thing for me to navigate, and, and I'll preach the truth that I know now and the truth that I discovered then. You know, because it's so funny, you know, I, dreams and ambitions were the things that I had to dethrone from my heart. And because um, they were the one, they were the things leading my life. Not Jesus, not full surrender to the Lord. Like I was, I, I had dreams and passions and things that I wanted to do with my life that I, I, um, that I could have spiritualized if I'd wanted to. I, I could have made, you know, been like, well, the Lord gifted me for this. The Lord you know, da-da-da-da-da, this is how I can best serve his kingdom, this is how I can build, this is, this is how, and I could have spiritualized, uh, for, for me, what was just, um, what was actually flowing from a place of need, like I needed significance, and I was not finding significance in any of the right places, and I needed a platform, and I needed a stage, I needed recognition, I needed all those things, and, and I created dreams and ambitions as, as a way of fulfilling that need. And I couldn't have seen it that way, that clearly. I just knew at some point that I had to lay down my life, like entirely and completely, even music, even when it didn't make sense. How many know for Abraham, it was probably super confusing when God asked him to kill the very thing he promised him? It was a very confusing moment for Abraham. But what did Abraham choose? Obedience. He chose obedience, and I just knew I reached a point after a five-year wrestle with the Lord where I would have to surrender everything to the Lord. And I'll tell you, that decision, that simple act of surrender, even laying down the thing I, I loved more than almost anything else, music, even laying that down was, 
one of the most powerful things that transformed my entire life. It is surrender. And it's not just a one-time thing. It is a decision that we make over and over and over. Like, Lord, I'm yours. And I remember praying for the very first time in my life, like, Lord, you can do whatever you want with my life. You can send me anywhere you want. I will do whatever you want with my life. And, um, man, it's a crazy prayer when you actually begin to pray that. And a life of worship initially is just a life fully laid down. Like, here I am. I am a living sacrifice. You know what that means? It means your entire self is on the altar. Like, nothing is held back. Like, you're, you're just there. You're like, God, use me. Use me. And here's the thing, is when you empty yourself out, when you go down in the baptismal tank, when you're united with Christ, not just in his resurrection, because you, you have to have a death before there's a resurrection, yeah? So you get dunked into the tank, you go down, you die, you're united with Christ in his death. Unto what? A death is God's not here to leave you dead. God's here to raise you to life, to fill you with life. But sometimes when we cling to those pieces of our flesh, and, we, and we, we don't let those things go down into the tank. We're just delaying resurrection power and life that is meant to flow through us. But there has to be like a, a cleaning house and, and, a, and, a, and a setting. It, it, is, it is like this was my old life. This is my new life. The new life I live, I live unto the Lord, completely, fully unto the Lord. There's no turning back. There's no going back to being driven by any of my flesh or personal ambition. Like I am alive for the glory of God. And I tell you what, if there's, a, there's something that's needed in a generation that you're not alive in part for the glory of God, in part for the glory of you, you need to be alive fully to the glory of God, fully alive to it, like sold out for it, because it will cost you. In the one hand, the world may celebrate you one day, and it'll knock you down the next. And if you do not know what glory you are alive for, you will become subservient to your need for glory, and you will not be someone the Lord can use in a really radical, radical way. Radical way, same thing, yeah. <laughs> All right, so surrender is, is, is massive. Um, and, I, and then the Lord, of course, he never, he has designed you, gifted you for a certain kind of call. But, but um, and then he gave me back music and, and in a crazy way and all those kinds of things. But I'll never forget that. And I haven't had to choose that just once. That yes, that continual yes to the Lord is probably the only thing, the only spiritual authority that I have at the end of the day is just being someone who's completely laid down. And I think here's the thing about that is when you completely give yourself over to the will of the Lord, what you open yourself up to is being full of the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. I'll just tell you this. The world is not in need of a whole, a bunch more gifted leaders, songwriters, uh, guitar players. Um, we have tons and tons and tons and tons of gifting. You know what the world needs right now? It needs men and women who are full of the Holy Spirit, like full of the Holy Spirit in such a radical way. But if you want to be full of the Holy Spirit, you have to be emptied of, of, of not, not who God has designed you to be, but of all that other fleshly stuff. Like, you, like it, is, it is going, Lord, take me over. I give you full and complete control of me. It's not my will. Like when I step foot on that stage, I'm not thinking, my job is to follow the Holy Spirit. Like, I don't care if that set goes well or if it doesn't go well. That, that's never the determiner. It doesn't determine whether I've been successful or not. My success is found, did I listen for the voice of God? Did I follow the voice of God, whether it took me off a cliff or whether it gave me wings to sail? Like, like that doesn't matter. For me, guys, and I, I'll tell you what, I have crazy, amazing stories of simple, simple risks that I've taken to follow the Lord that have utterly changed everything about my life. But I have more stories 
that are bad and terrible, and I went away feeling awful, and, um, and I, I tried to do the, my best to follow the Holy Spirit, and the room didn't get it, my band didn't get it, and I looked like an idiot, okay? So um, for every one of those glorious testimonies, there's just as many ones where, where it ended very badly, <laughs> you know, for me, and I had to process that with, and I, no one likes being a failure. No one likes looking foolish. No one likes that. But if you're going to follow God, get over it. You have to get over it. And you can't let fear have a larger voice in your head than the Holy Spirit. And I think that's such a pitfall that I've had to deal with personally where, you know, I'm like, I'm pure. Like, I've never dealt with any of those, like, naughty sins. But fear had a hold on me for so long. And that's something that I just, like, I want everybody to be broken free from like it is a journey and it's a process but it's like i watched a good friend of mine her heart desire was to go work at an orphanage in mexico but she didn't hear from the voice of the lord and i'm like that's in your heart like i don't know if that's a very common thing that people have in their hearts to lay down their life of comfort to go live with orphans in mexico but there was this voice of fear that was just louder for so many years and I watched her just kind of slowly get complacent and try and find her place in where she was and all that but just recently like she's released that and um and they're on an adventure and like I see life in her eyes again and it's just like we have to watch that and it can be disguised as discernment you know it can be disguised as well-meaning family members who are looking out for your good but really they're acting out in fear and so it's just so important to like always be on the lookout and just like ask the Lord for discerning eyes and heart like is this fear that's speaking louder than you or you know is this you and so yeah just like I want everybody here just to be free from any of those voices that will speak. Like, know your heart. Like, again, like, going to lay down your life in Mexico with orphans. That sounds like God. <laughs> Go for it, you know. Yeah, it's so good. Um, hey, that's good. Um, what's on your guys' hearts? Like, what, what, what can we speak to specifically that you guys want to... Um, yeah, you can ask us anything, obviously, with the realm of the heart of worship or that kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Laying down music. Um, it literally looked like laying down music. Here's, here's the thing. I never stopped playing guitar, you know. Um, but it, it meant laying down all dreams and ambitions attached to music. So um, I never stopped creating. I never stopped writing. Um, First and foremost, guys, I, I learned how to play an instrument not because I wanted to be a rock star, but because I found a way to process what was going on in my heart that I couldn't find in any other place. And ultimately, music will, when I'm 90 years old and no one's wanting to give me a platform for anything, uh, I'll still probably be on an acoustic trying to process my 90-year-old life, you know? So um, that's just, that will always be what it is. So, so laying down music does not necessarily mean, you know, to give up um, your instrument, you know, or, or your way of processing and communing with the Lord. And, and, and you have to know that the Lord is actually asking you to do this. And here, here's the thing that I've learned with everybody. For half the people that I preach to about surrender, some of you guys need to get dunked. You, you, you need to go down in the tank. You need to die a death. Like, it's, it's a real thing. You need to just surrender fully to God. And you know who I'm talking to you because you know the war that's in your own heart. Like, you know the place uh, where, where the Lord has been asking you for a yes, and you cannot give him your full yes. There's things that, that if he asked you for those things, you would not be able to give them up. 
Like, you, you know the war. But there's always the people who are already so dead, have been dead for, like, years, who are like, I just need to die more. And I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> You're done. You have died, and you need to be resurrected to life now. Like, we need to speak dreams and life and, and, and a future and a hope over you. And it's, it's always, like, two camps. And there's maybe some in-between people in that. But just know that this isn't... There, there are no... Uh, formulas are like the Lord raises you up individually. He doesn't, he doesn't just have one rule fits all of his children, unless it's the golden rule. Then that rule fits all of his children. But you know what I'm saying? Like they, he, you are unique and the Lord is, 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 is discipling you in, in, in a unique way. And, and so for one person, it's, it's, you do need to die. You do need to surrender for other people. It's like, you need to come alive to the reason that God made you. And, um, and so wherever you are, you know, in that place, just listen to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Uh, I think for you too, like it wasn't necessarily, it was more of like finding your identity in your music yeah. that God was wanting you to surrender because you were going after it. We were like playing at gigs in Hollywood and like trying to go mainstream and yeah, guys, I, I was like trying to be you too, Coldplay, whatever, whatever was the band is now that you're trying to be. Like I was trying to be that. So a little, a little bit of a different journey. And I did try and spiritualize it um, towards the end of that journey. I realized I couldn't spiritualize it. I tried to barter with God, like, Lord, if you make me famous, I'll make you famous, you know? And uh, that, <laughs> that didn't work out too hot. Uh, God does not need me to make him famous. So, um, Yeah. So there's, there's lots involved in that journey of surrender. And ultimately, here's what I discovered, because it was so funny coming to Bethel, and everyone's like, dream with God. And I'm like, oh, that's the thing I died to. So how do you, how do you now do that with God, you know? Um, and I realized that that's, it's dreaming with God. And that, that dreaming with your father versus the dreams that we create as orphans. And a lot of the times, we create dreams out of needs, out of deficits in our hearts, to fill the thing that we're longing for. But there's a, there's a big difference between dreaming and partnership with the fullness. Like, there's a, big, there's a big difference when you can dream when you have everything and you know you have everything. Most of us, that's not where our dreams are formed. Our dreams are formed in lack. They're, they're formed out of need. They're formed out of deficit. And, and when you know that you're the father's and, and the father is yours and you're the sons and the sons. Like, like when you know you are, are, are already seated in heavenly places, when you know that you have everything that Jesus has, that you literally, there's nothing that the world can offer you that can top it. There's nothing, no recognition in the world can offer you that can top that. Then you can dream with God to your heart's extent because you know whose you are. You know that you've already been given the kingdom. You know that you have eternal life. You know that there's nothing in this world that isn't perishing and that you are part of an imperishable, unshakable kingdom. There's nothing that this perishing world can offer you that can tantalize your soul because you do no longer belong to this world. You belong to your Father in heaven. And when you come into that place of agreement with heaven, you can absolutely dream with God. And it will change the earth. But most of the time, that's not the, the place of purity that we dream from. So it's a wrestle. Anyway, I don't know what I was saying, but that's a great question. Did I answer it? I, okay, I don't even know. <laughs> Fantastic. Yes, sir. <laughs> that is a brilliant question. <laughs> How do you keep it fresh? Well, I'll just, I'll just acknowledge the struggle. Um, 
um, that, yeah, uh, particularly coming back to a church that's kind of been in a time capsule, um, the, the hardest part of that journey is having to sing songs that I burned out like five years ago. And I'm like, really? This is new to you guys? <laughs> oh, no. I don't know if I can lead this another Sunday. You know, um, I think you always have to, I think I live to see the people of God praise the Lord. And, and it's, it's like a parent. You're like, like when you have the heart of a parent, and you go, oh, that unlocks you. Like when you have the heart of a parent toward, towards, towards a child. And you go, like, I'll do that four billion times. You want to play Candyland? That brings you delight? Oh, okay. I will not always. Not, I haven't always laid down my life. <laughs> like this, Lord, help me, Jesus. Um, but but I, I, I think you do the things. But that I, I, I know this to be true. Like as a parent, you do the things that bring... The, the people that you're leading to life, even that if that's singing, how great is our God for the millionth time, you know, like you do the things you're like, oh, that awakens your heart for the Lord. Okay, let's do this. Like, let, let, let's lead this. So I find that um, it's, it's always taking on the heart of a shepherd versus the heart of an artist, which just burns for to keep everything brand new and fresh and, and let's push the boundaries on something. And, um, and then it, but it's constrained in a, in a, in a like the Lord, when you take on the heart of a shepherd, it constrains that, and you find life not necessarily in playing the song, but in watching something unlock people's hearts. So, so there's, there's power in that. The other power that I would say is you have to follow the Holy Spirit. That will always keep something fresh. Like you plan sets, sure, plan sets. Never stop listening while you're planning. Never stop listening while you're executing. Like here, here's the thing between planners and, and the spontaneous people out there is, is that spontaneous people... Um, Rarely list, they don't really prepare, so, so they're not listening beforehand. And the preppers are listening beforehand, but they're never listening in the moment. And, and I think just because you put a plan in place, listen to the Lord. We never stop listening and following the Holy Spirit. So just because you think, that, let me tell you this, the Lord loves, you may feel so good about your 30-minute four-song set, and you may think that the Lord led you into that, and it's quite possibly true, but don't ever think that the Lord won't change it up for you in the middle of that set. Like, don't... Like, when you listen to him, I promise you he will. Like, because here's the thing. What we're doing is never static. Like, there are things that begin to happen in the room. Things are changing in people's hearts all the time. And if we miss the voice of the Holy Spirit in those moments, even if it's something as simple as, like, make a slight U-turn here. Like, like uh, come around, sing this chorus that you weren't planning on. Even just the smallest little phrases. Like, things that don't make sense. I Like... And I just learned, there's this crazy story in the book of Acts about Philip. And honestly, read the book of Acts. Go back, read the book of Acts, and only pay attention to the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does and how the Holy Spirit works. It'll blow your mind. It's not the book of the Acts of the Apostles. It's the book of the Holy Spirit leading and governing and, and orchestrating his church. That's really what the book of Acts is. And we miss that. We, we call it the Acts of Man. It's not. It's the leadership of the Holy Spirit and what happens to ordinary men and women when they simply follow the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is on this guy, Philip, and just says, hey, start running down this road. That's all the instructions Philip gets. He's just like, go down this road. So he's down this road. He sees a chariot. The Holy Spirit says, go run at that chariot. If I were you, like, you know, if I were me, I'd be like, hey, oh, yes, then, and, and, and. And what? Like, what happens when we run alongside? No, the Holy Spirit never gives you the full blueprint. I've never known him to. He only gives me the next step. And so Philip goes and runs along the chariot. You guys know the story. The guy's reading the book of Isaiah. And I think at that point, it dawned on Philip exactly. You don't hear the Holy Spirit needing to say anything from that point on. Like, it's like, Philip's like, ah, oh, got it. 
got it. <laughs> He's like, hey, do you know what you're reading? He's like, how could I unless someone explains it? He's like, I'm, I'm your guy. I can help you with this. He's like, here's the gospel. It says, Why, what can I do to be baptized? He's like, there's water right there. Let's go. Dunk some. And he says he's transported by the Spirit into another city. Like, following the Holy Spirit will never, ever be boring. And I, I found that when you do that and you're ready and willing to jump off any cliff he asks you to, no matter what the repercussions, oh, he'll, he'll keep your life so spicy, more spicy than, than you like, more, more fresh and exhilarating than, 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 than you, can, you can possibly imagine. And I'll start simple. Guys, I mean, just simple stories. I remember I, I was leading um, Greater You, Lord. And um, that song works all by itself. How many of you guys know that? You just get to the bridge and all heaven breaks loose, you know? You, it doesn't need a lot of help. But for whatever reason, on this Sunday night we were leading worship, nothing, it was like dead. It was so dead in the room. And I mean, here's one thing that I've discovered. If you're interested in a life of breakthrough, because how many guys know that, that we want real spiritual breakthrough? We can lead the sets. We can do the songs. We can do the things. We can experience a measure of power. But if you want to experience real breakthrough, you have to follow the Holy Spirit. It's the only way to get that breakthrough. And so, um, and so anyway, so I'm leading, and it's just dead, 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 dead. And even that song, I'm like, wow, dead? Really? Like, Crazy. But I just had this small impression. That's how the Holy Spirit always speaks to me. He's just like, sing that bridge again. And I was all I got. I'm like, okay, just supposed to sing the bridge again. So I just got on the mic and said, hey, guys, I don't know why. But I just feel like we're supposed to sing that bridge again. And if we're supposed to sing it with, uh, I try to think of the word. It's gusto. But I didn't, I forgot how to pronounce gusto. So I said, sing it with gusto. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, just sing it with all you got. And I don't know why, but I feel like something's going to break when we do it. And I'm like, okay, Lord Jesus, please let it break. Please let it break. Please let it break. You know, because you don't know that. You know, we just say stuff uh, according to what we feel the Lord instructing us. But I tell you what, when we hit that bridge again, something happened. And there was a 45-minute journey after that set that I cannot explain. It was like something broke open that you could never anticipate. And the only thing that I did was I just sang the bridge again because I felt the Holy Spirit ask me to. And I can tell you probably hundreds and hundreds of stories of the exact same nature, some with small results, some with massive results, but always leading to breakthrough. So that's a long answer. Uh, where are we at time-wise, guys? I have no idea. 15. Brilliant. Yes, sir. Huh. How do we love musicians better, like when they're faced with that temptation kind of a thing? Yeah. Are you talking like in the church world or in the mainstream world? Oh, definitely. <laughs> Well, I think love is love is a given, and you know, in a sense that that's the number one call in our our life, to love um, people. When it comes to the world, uh, we're not necessarily called to judge the world. We're not called to judge the world, and and that kind of thing within the church. I, I think um, maybe judgment's not not the right word, but we're called to hold people to the standard of Jesus, you know, and 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 to 
and you know, so I mean, for instance, if I've got a musician up on stage who is who is moving in a spirit that's that's a that's full of performance, and he's obviously seeking attention um, and and trying to build his name or his his status, and is obviously taking a lot of the adoration and, and affection of man, like kind of like there's there's an unhealthy feeding going on in that. That's a conversation. Love has a conversation with that. Love sits it down and goes, hey, I see this going on. What's, what's going on here? You know? And love speaks truth into that. Love doesn't just, just um, coddle someone in their dysfunction. Love grows them up. Love disciplines. Love is, um, discipline is the mark of love. It says God disciplines those that he loves. If you've got some spank marks on you, give thanks to the Lord because he is loving you. Like, that is his love. And we have confused love um, with all-out acceptance of behavior. And that's not love. Like, it has nothing to do with love. Like, love is not the all-out acceptance of, of my kid's behavior. It is in love that I discipline. It is love that I train. It is love that I, that I correct, you know. Um, and I, I think love is there's an interesting thing, uh, you know, about love, sometimes I think we confuse, this is a little bit of a sermon, I don't know how much of it applies, but we confuse the delight and the pleasure of God with the love of God. Here's, here's the deal, God loves you no matter what. You can never do anything to, to separate yourself from the love of God. It is absolutely unconditional. That does not mean that God delights in everything that you do. He doesn't take pleasure in everything that you do. Like, he's not when you sin and when you screw up. He's not going, um, uh, like... That, that, that there's no delight in his heart over that. There's grief in his heart. There's pain in his heart over our sin. Like, but his love is just as fierce in that moment. Um, it, it, it doesn't separate from us when we screw up. But um, I, I think, so there's a lot of confusion about how, how do we raise up? How do we train? How do, how, do we, how do we speak into each other's lives? The biggest thing on the line right now is truth and love. And what do those things look like together? And man, it's an intense battle right now. And don't think that we were just talking. We had a long debate, like at lunch today. I'm talking with uh, of, of just how challenging this is because people have confused love with a lot of things that love isn't. And and um, love and truth are married together. They 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 are. You can't have one apart from the other. Like they're 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 one and the same. And so we want to create a culture that speaks. Uh, truth. Now, that said, you have to search your heart, you know, and there's moments where you want to correct something before love has gotten a hold of your heart, and that, oh, that creates a lot of, lot of damage. You know, um, a wise friend of mine once said, he's like, um, you have authority over whatever you, you are actually have love for. Love is your authority, and I, and I, and I think there's a lot of truth in that. You know, and so so many times when the when the church has tried to deliver truth or speak truth, it honestly has been apart from love, and um, and it just doesn't sink that deep. It doesn't go that far. But even truth delivered in love will still be offensive. It'll still be intense. It'll it'll still it can go one of two ways. And I know it, guys. I've I've had truth spoken to me in love. I have had fathers. Um, man, it's been it's been intense. How many of you guys know Chris Valadin? Ever heard of Chris Valadin? He's amazing. And you never want to be one-on-one -on -one with him when he has a grief, <laughs> a beef with your... So I, I have Chris Valadin sit right down in front of me, and I'm pouring out my heart. 
honestly confused about what was going on with me. And he's just like, he's like, hey, can I just speak some things over you? And I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, he's like, well, he's like, well, I see the word offense over you. And he's like, and everything, your heart's so pure. He's like, everything you think your heart's doing, you're actually blinded to what your heart is doing. He's like, because if you knew what your heart was doing, really and truly, you would, you would abandon it immediately. You think you're trying to put out fires, fires, and all you're doing is throwing gasoline on fires. It is your offense that's driving your life. And he's like, and you need to repent. He's like, and this is what I actually need you to do. I need to call these people that you've just whined at me for 30 minutes, and I need you to repent to them, because your heart has not been moving from love at all. He's like, your, your heart has been driven by, by, by your offense and by your pain and by your, 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 your rejection. And he's like, that's not the heart of the Father. I can promise you right now, everything you just told me is not the heart of the Father. So I need you to repent. That was fathering. That was love. And it saved my life. Saved my life. I would not be here. Like, it would, it would literally have destroyed my life. It would have destroyed everything that I was trying to build. That's love. And it saved my life. And, and, and once you, when you experience that kind of love, oh, does it pierce you? My whole body was like burning. I'm like, is it hot in here? I don't know what's going on. Like, it was the worst moment of my life. I have daddy issues. I want to make dad happy. And I'm like, dad's just a sword, just like, does not feel good. Holy cow, it saved my life. Like, that's love. And man, we, 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 we need to give people what it really looks like. We owe people love. We owe people what actually family really looks like. We owe them those kinds of raw conversations. And yes, the risk is high. Will they get it? Will they understand? When God had kids, he knew all that could happen. He knew all that could go wrong. He knew how much of it was open to confusion and deception. He had kids anyway. And to this day, his arms are open towards his kids. And he's still speaking truth and love to those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. It's love, but it's often confused, is it not? And the same is true in the church. And so we need to cultivate love with all that we have. We need to have a burning passion for people, but we can't be afraid to speak truth and love to them and call them out on their, on, on, on their stuff. We can't necessarily correct what the world does, or even I can't correct what a room does. I, I'm not going to sit there and correct the little 14-year-old with adoring eyes and a cell phone and just like just maybe missing the heart of the event, you know? I'm not necessarily called to correct that, but I can correct those that are with me on my team that, that are missing it, that are, that are feeding in something that they should not be feeding on. I can't correct that. And I'm called to correct that. So, another long answer, sorry. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Do make sure you subscribe. And if you'd like more information on how to get involved with David's Tents, please visit www.davidstents.net.